0: Hey, good morning. You know, today is February second, twenty twenty. So here's something kind of cool you could do this afternoon. At two oh two or at two twenty this afternoon, if you took a selfie, you know, that would be that would be two twenty oh two oh two two oh two oh. You you nobody thinks like me. Okay. Yeah, just Some of you are going to ponder that, the whole service, because it's really pretty deep. It's kind of a deep thing. Hey, when you think about somebody that maybe their identity is wrapped around, you know, a particular word. For instance, if I were to say, oh, she's a Democrat. If I were to say, yeah, he's a Republican. If I say he's a CrossFit fanatic. anything like that, if I say, oh, yeah, she was a millennial, yeah, he's a boomer, yeah, they're Alabama fans. (laughs) See, immediately, immediately, you get this thing, right, in your head. You get this image or this idea, um, a certain mental association. If I tell you, um, you know... um, I, I love, Joe gave a little shout out from Memphis. I'm so glad Memphis is represented in the baptismal pool this morning. Um, well, when I first moved here and I said, I'm from Memphis. And this guy said, what part of Memphis? And I said, "Frazier," And he, he leaned into me, this true story. He said, did you ever kill anybody? <laughs> I said, yeah, a couple of people. Yeah but they deserved it. They needed killing, you know. But, uh, you know, that's just, you know, when you hear something and when you think about that, we, we we do that. So, what comes to your mind when I say Christian? Oh, yeah, she's a Christian, and he's a Christian. What does what that what do you associate with that? Odds are there's, there's something, because every this word, you know, it carries characteristics uh, with it. Now, the thing is, because I'm kind of one of the insiders now, uh, my life, I used to say it was half and half, and, and somebody reminded me, hey, dude, your life's not half and half anymore, it's like one-third, two-thirds, um, but I was, on the, I was an outsider, and then I was an insider, and so I kind of get Get that a little bit of uh, what it means, you know, when, when I think of what a Christian is, but even my perception, sometimes, you know, I think, yeah, Christians are, you know, fill in the blank. But when I was sort of an outsider, and I hope that doesn't offend you if you're an outsider and an insider and all that kind of language, but, um, you know, thinking about, yeah, Christians, and I used to have other thoughts about Christians because I had a perception about them. And I got that from my family from people I saw or caricatures of Christian that were on television, you know. Some of those shows are a little wacky and everything. So I had an idea about that. what that means. So I think we, we, we do that. Now here's the thing I wanted, wanted to talk about today. Um, the first followers of Jesus, they didn't even call themselves Christians. That wasn't something they came up with. You know, when they were doing the t-shirt design, when they were trying to come up with their logo and their branding, and they're, they're all there in the upper room, and they're going like, well, what are we going to call ourselves, and what's it going to look like, and we need stationery, and they didn't d- do any of that. In fact, the, the term was an insult. It was a derogatory term that first pops up, I think in the 11th chapter of Acts, that was said about them, making fun of them. It's like, oh, so you guys are little Jesuses. Oh, you're little Christ. Oh, running around everywhere. It was mocking them, but the term kind of stuck, and it began to be used about us, and we sort of adopted it, and now we say, after all this time, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, so here's the tricky part, is that in American culture, who's not a Christian? You know, I mean, unless you're specifically you know, you call yourself out and say, well, I'm, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, I'm this, I'm that, or maybe you're from another faith or whatever, but um, I, I was raised in a society where everybody, that's kind of the default, you know, sort of that position. Um, the, the thing, and you see this in, 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 this is in the 11th chapter of Acts, the 26th verse, where, you know, we're, we're, we're called Christians, but do you know what we, we were called and what we called ourselves and even what Jesus called us? We were called disciples. Now some people would say the followers of the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that kind of stuck, and there got a little traction there. And so in some places, in some ways, we were called the followers of the way. But that's a long <laughs> that's here comes one of the followers of the way. So it either needed an acronym or it needed to shorten so disciples. That's how we defined ourselves, and there's history to that. It's got some roots to it, and there's a meaning, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute because I think it's kind of cool and and kind of fascinating. The word Christian, no kidding, it's used three times in the entire Bible. In all of the New Testament, the word Christian shows up three times in the whole book. Twice in Acts and once in Peter. Once in one of his letters. That's it. The word disciple is in Scripture, in the New Testament, 281 times. Hey folks, this may redefine your identity this morning. Because I think we think of ourselves uh, as Christian. And I was raised in a family, uh, you know, we never went to church, we never prayed, we never read scripture, we never talked about it, but we were all Christians. <laughs> it's just this catch-all kind of a phrase, Christian. Nobody said, "Yeah, we're disciples of Jesus. Doesn't that just feel like you're taking it to another level? that's the big thing that we're going to talk about today and i want you to see is you know three times christian 281 times we are described as um, a disciple and i think that is a far more compelling uh, and accurate description of what it means to be a follower of jesus Now sometimes i don't know how to say that you know if i'm in a place i'm meeting somebody the first time say you're um you're on a bus or an airplane, and somebody's like, well, what do you do, or who are you, or what do you... If I say I'm a Christian, I know, just like we said in the beginning, it's just like saying, I'm from Tennessee. You know, we just say that, and people have an idea about us, right? And some of you are from other countries, or you're from other states, and you, maybe when you moved here, or maybe you're a guest here, you had a certain preconceived idea, this, this conception of what Tennesseans were, were like. Oh, I'm from Tennessee. Go, Vols! You know, and uh, you know, and and I had an idea. Even moving to Knoxville, I didn't know. And this was a long, long time ago. But I went around and ate at all my favorite restaurants because I thought, well, Knoxville is a mission field. There are no restaurants in Knoxville. I, I, do they wear shoes? Do they? Uh, you know, I mean, I had this idea, and I get here and I realize, oh, there's two restaurants for every person. And there's every kind of food you could imagine, more so than what I thought, wow, that's not, that's not the stereotype that I figured when I'm thinking about East Tennessee, because I'd only driven through here, been here one time. You see, we, we do that, we do that, but what we want to do today is clarify, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And that's a phrase I use sometimes, but this is even better, a disciple of Jesus. Here's the big idea, big idea of today's message, which kind of ties into, uh, connects to the bigger theme of what we're talking about in this series, Who's Your One? The big idea is this. Jesus' followers are fishers of people, and this is an essential part of what it means to be a disciple. It's not something that just a few of us do. This is something... All of us do. I think there's an idea that you maybe bring a pastor or an associate pastor or, or you bring somebody on or you've got some, these reference point kind of people in your life and you think, oh, they're the hired guns. They're the professionals. If my mama needs Christ, I'm going to call one of them to come talk to her about it or if my cousin or my roommate, then I'm going to say, yeah. And, and I had that idea too and I took a lot of my friends to a guy. He was a youth pastor at a church, and I was really too old to be in the youth group, but he just sort of mentored me, you know, and when I would have these spiritual conversations with somebody, we'd get to this place where they're like ready to embrace Jesus, and they're like, yeah, I want to be a disciple. I didn't know what to do next. I think, okay, let's get in the car. Where are we going? Oh, we're going to Toby's house because he can show you how to do this. I didn't know what the next step was, and I think, I think a professional has to do this, and I don't know if he sprinkles you with something or does something over you so that you become a Christian. I had it all wrong. I had it all wrong. So the big idea today is this is not my job as pastor. I'm here to shepherd you and to equip you. It's our job. It's all of ours, our task. So here's the action point at the end of our time, which is going to come up in just, just a little while. Ask God, Lord, help me identify one person that I can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, in dwelling of the Holy Spirit, bring to faith in Christ. Now, I've got this little not-so-secret agenda, um, and you think, why one? Why not 10? Why not 12? First of all, I know you're probably not going to be able to actually, um, you know, be really influential or involved with 12 people and, you know, you can't even eat lunch with that many people this week. There's not that many days. and But whatever that is, probably fizzle out. You maybe won't do it. But I know this, if you do it once, if you one time bring somebody to the place of healing uh, in their life and of blessing and of salvation to Jesus, you're going to do it again. You're going to Continue to be a disciple maker, and make those relationships and build those bridges. Uh, it, it's an addictive thing; it, it, it really is. So that's our action point today. And uh, let me read to you this scripture. When this first started, very you think, well, how did this mechanism, this system, this relational kind of ministry began? Uh, well, it was in uh, the book of uh, Matthew. There are several places you could read this, but here's here's one. Um, where Jesus began developing his team and the people who would follow him. It's in chapter 4, in verse 18, it says this. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. They're throwing a net into the water because they fished for a living. And by the way, Jesus didn't change their method of fishing Some of you fish for people with hooks, and my generation was taught that through some of the methods of evangelism. We're trying to hook people and just felt very manipulative, and we don't do that. We cast this nice, soft net. Okay, um, I'm distracting myself. I just had that thought uh, that it was net fishing. Um, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee. Um, I love the detail of Scripture, you know. uh, And they were repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father uh, behind, uh, let me give you a little historical background of what it meant to be a disciple. Because uh, we, we, again, we attach words to things, and we think our definition is well. I always thought it meant that, you know, and we, we do that all the time. And I, I kind of I, th- I think disciple is one of those words. And w- what does that mean to be a disciple in the first century? So when they start following Jesus. Why do they just leave everything and walk away and they literally follow him around? Because that's what a disciple did. This wasn't invented at this moment. It didn't start with Jesus. There were already disciples of all these other people, particularly rabbis in, in this Judaistic culture. So here's the, here's the back story to that. All Hebrew boys went to uh, Torah school starting at age five. That was like Preschool. And you're going you're gonna to see how this lines up, even with modern-day culture, as far as the development of this. So preschool, kindergarten, they all go to Torah school. And by age 10, they stay there five years, by age 10, all these young boys knew the law. They knew the law of Moses. They studied the Torah. And then the very best students, like the top of their class, uh, you know, the valedictorians, all those they go on to continue to study the entire Old Testament. Not just this law, not just this little part. They thought, oh, this is really, you've got to get this. It's, it's really the big deal. Um, they'd study, you know, the, the wisdom literature and the poetry, and they'd study the prophets and the history and all of that. They study the whole, the whole thing, all of the Old Covenant. And the rest, during that time, they went back home. They would return home. Uh, These students go on, it's kind of high school, you know, they they go on, but in that time, everybody else would go, well, we didn't make the cut, so we're going to go back home, and we're going to pick up uh, in our father's business. And they would be mentored by their own family, a father, an uncle, somebody like that, in the family business. And we did that even, you know, up until modern times, really, uh, some of you, you know, you grew up on a farm and you learned that from your dad and then you kept doing it or you were a watchmaker or whatever and you just kind of continued that, that tradition. Well, that's, that's really an old idea. So those, those, all those folks would do that, but this smaller, more elite group, they kept going uh, and studying. So that would continue until about age 17. So about the time you guys are ready to graduate high school, it was equivalent they 're ready they 're at that place in their life, so if you want to go on and the career i don 't know what the career would be now um, you know we always think of doctors and lawyers or stockbrokers or i don 't know what uh, what is what is the, the big thing uh, worship leaders that 's always really you know a lot of people want to do that uh, but say you say you, you get to this place you 're seventeen you 're ready to graduate, but you want to keep going in religious studies because that was the de la creme. That was the job. That was the you know, thing. So what you would do is kind of what we do today. You would make an application to your favorite rabbi. And there's all these rabbis around. You know, and they're, they're really, and you, there's probably one by then that you like more than all the others. You agree with their teaching, their personality, and you think, man I want to be like that guy. He's the guy. So your next step would be that you find a rabbi you really admire, you like, and you apply to be one of their disciples. You know, you fill in your resume, you do all this, you, you literally, you apply uh, to the position, and then when you find one, you've made this, this application, then you go and you sit at their feet. And this was a way to communicate to them, you're my guy, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. So you pick the rabbi, and you follow him around. And if after a little while, uh, this is the way you were saying, I wanna, I re- I'm requesting to be on your team, I want to learn from you. So the rabbi would examine you. He would ask all these questions and he would test you. And there's like this big entrance exam. You know, it's like the SAT or it's, it's like you know, your final. It's, it's here's the big thing. You got to pass the boards, so to speak. You know, so he asks you all these questions and put you through these tests. And if he liked your answers and you were really, now you're, you're continuing to, to work your way up, you're worthy to be his disciple. So basically what you get to do then is just follow him around. And the rabbis would choose the smartest, most talented boys to be their disciples. Now, the rabbis were kind of picky about that because it wasn't just, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to be your your main person. No, when you chose someone like that, they believe what you're going to do is become like that person. So your reputation, everything about you is on the line because this is going to be who everybody looks at and goes, yeah, that's Gamaliel's disciple, and um, he's going to be just like him. So they were very careful about that. They wanted to get just, just the right people. It's kind of like if you were uh, picking your team, you know, and you're going to go with the first-round draft choice. If you're putting together a fantasy team or maybe you're going to play softball, you know, you remember that on the playground? You start picking the best hitters and the best, you know, defensive players and all that, and you p- try to put together the best team you can. Same idea. They would put together uh, from the, the very best, and they would choose like that. And then for several years, kind of like college, Um, They would follow these disciples, and they would listen, they would learn. But not only that, it's not just taking in the information. They would do everything that the rabbi did, they would do it that way. They learned not just from what he said, but from his life, the way that he lived. They just became little... um, you know, uh, reproductions of that guy. They became that. And that's what a disciple was. And the goal of the disciple was to be just like that rabbi. That was the idea. So now you know, that's where the word disciple comes from. So when Jesus said, I want you to be my disciple, it wasn't, every, everybody wasn't going, whoa, this is new. We've never heard of this. What is a disciple? You know, and no, they knew. Everybody got the concept. But Jesus was so radically different. And the whole process of the way he did disciple ministry was completely different. I mean, off the charts, different. No one had ever done it like this before. Jesus didn't choose the best. The best hitter, the valedictorian, the smartest guy. Uh, all that. He, he, he did, It seems like he just ignored all that criteria completely. Do we need to turn in an application? No, you're not going to need that. I don't care. I don't care what background you had, how smart you are. I don't care how tall you are, what you look like, who your mama was, who your dad, what your business. I don't care about any of that. Your grades, I don't even care about your, what kind of grades you made. None of that is essential, not what I'm looking for. Now, this was different. I mean, this was really different. He didn't care. He didn't choose the best. He chose the willing. He chose those who were the most invested, those who wanted, whose hearts he could sense. We're going to be passionate about this. So in this text that we're looking at today, in Matthew 4, Jesus, this new rabbi, new kind of rabbi, uh, he chooses, first of all, Peter and Andrew. And they had kind of gotten left out. They were obviously not at the disciple school. You know, they weren't following any rabbi they were some of the guys that got sent home to do fishing. Now, fishing is an honorable trade. There's nothing wrong with that. But in this culture at this time, very, very common, entry level, blue collar kind of job. Okay? Lower middle income class kind of. They were just guys working for a living. You know, they're just going to the factory, they're going to wherever. Uh, they are fishermen. They just have to be fishermen. It's a, it a, it a good job, but, you know, it wasn't anything remarkable. And, you know, the the thing the fact that they were fishermen shows us what um that they were i don't know how to say this because you may be a fisherman and then you're going to be offended but they were like on the b team <laughs> they were like on the c team i play fantasy every year i think i'm gonna take a break because i'm i just you know i always end up in the middle or you know i just I don't make good picks and then my team everybody gets hurt if, if you want to get hurt be on my team and you'll be injured before the season's over so everybody's hurt and they weren't that great to begin with. So I am by the end of the season, I'm down to my C team. You know, I'm like, who is this guy? Well he made five points last week. I'm gonna put him in. And you know you have that hopeful feeling, those of you who ever do this? You think this is gonna be his week. I'm looking at it. He could break out. I mean he might really be good. He's not. You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Never did for me. I mean, you know, the guy I put on the bench. Yeah, he made like twenty points, but my guy made four. So that's kind of the way. This is the C team. This is way down in your lineup. They weren't the best of the best. They were. Remember last week we used the phrase "nowhere man." They were nobodies. They were just guys, a couple of guys, and they're rough. They smell like fish. <laughs> they're just these, these gruff guys. They don't have good grammar. They're, um, they're spitting. They're burping. They're, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just, okay, you got the idea. I just want you to think, let that sink in for a minute. When Jesus chose his guys, his team, his squad, to build this movement that's going to revolutionize the world, it's not who I would have picked. I mean, I would have... Picked, you know those movies where it's like the best of the best and they're all lined up and they're all really good? This one's a great shot. This one's good at explosives. This one's knows karate. And they put together this super team of whatever. This was not the Avengers, okay? This was like... You look at these scraggly guys and they're all standing there going, Hey, you, we're going to be disciples. Yeah, we're excited about it. Me too. You know, and they're all just lined up there. They're like Alabama fans. Okay, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> a little pastoral joke. Okay, um... So, so that they're all and now Alabama. I'm going to get emails. Um, you do, if you're from Alabama, you do know about email, right? That's a new. Okay. Um, all right, all right. Stop, stop it. That's not funny. That could hurt. That could hurt somebody's feelings. So, um, these aren't the best, the best. But he chooses them, and I think they were a little surprised by. It. I mean, Zebedee's sitting in the boat, and they call his sons out, and Zebedee's going, "What?" my boys, you know my boys? <laughs> I don't think you want them on your team. I think there's some guys down in the street that are really, they were so sharp and they were the best. And Jesus is like, nah, I don't really want them. I want these guys. So he puts together this ragtag bunch of folks and he, he chose them. Do you see the difference? They weren't seeking him. They were fishing. They were doing all kinds of stuff. They were were guys without much potential or personal power or influence or any of that. To follow him and to become like him, to know God the way Jesus knew God, to know what Jesus knew, to do what he did. And Jesus said, you're even going to do better stuff. You're going to do bigger stuff than I'm doing. And they must have looked around each other and thought, Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. He goes, Oh, yeah. Once I fill you with my power, it's going to be incredible. See, we often look at each other. And we look at other people and we think, Oh, the criteria's not there. Or they're not there. The potential's not there. We've got it all wrong. It doesn't matter. It's none of, nothing about any, any of that. Jesus chose them because his work, what he was going to do in the world wouldn't come I want you to get this it wouldn't come from their abilities what they could do for Jesus and I have to admit sometimes when I see a celebrity come to Christ maybe it's an athlete or a movie star or a rock star there's a part of my flesh that thinks oh man they're going to be able to do so much for Jesus because they're so talented they're so this they've got such a platform God's like, yeah, I'm excited about it, but no more so than I would be for you. He chose them for what he could do and would do in and through them. That's the deal. Jesus taught that his authority in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent out there without Jesus, without him. And that's good news for me. That's good news for a guy like me. God wants to use you in your family, at your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, your apartment building, all that. He wants to use you. So I say this gently but firmly. Stop making excuses about how you can't do this, or how you're not able. He doesn't need your ability not about you. He requires just your availability. Jesus <laughs> never called the equipped. He always equips those he calls. So just flip that and see yourself in a completely different lens. Here's my question. Have you made yourself available or because of the person you see in the mirror and you think I'm not smart enough fast enough good enough eloquent enough Uh, I'm not pretty enough I'm not educated enough I'm not blah 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 that's from the enemy that's your old way of thinking that is not the way God sees you, and that is not your potential of what he wants to do in and through you. He wants you. He picked you just like you are, very purposefully and very specifically. He chose us. We didn't even choose him. You know, in this text, he says, follow me. I mean, they're, they're working. They're looking around. This guy says, follow me. And the typical way that this all went down is that, you know, if you were among the best of your class... Um, you applied to the rabbi and if he liked what he saw then he'd choose you back and it kind of worked like that and this selection must have given people a lot of confidence you know in days they're struggling or they're not feeling it and they're thinking but rabbi did choose me he must have seen something i don't see or you know i, I think he, he sees something in me and it, you know but this was so different jesus starts the process back even further i mean he, he pushes way back They didn't come sit at his feet and hope they get picked. They were just living a lot. They were just doing their deal. And he comes along seeking them. He did that in my life. Maybe he did did that in your life. And he does it through all kinds of ways. I mean, I just wonder, I was just wondering this last night. How many of you first came into contact either with Christ or to the church or, you know, uh, this spiritual thing was initiated by a friend or a relative, somebody inviting you to something. How many of you, I just wonder how many, wow, okay. He invites us, we're exposed. Somebody pulls, either parents or friends or a classmate or somebody, they, they invite us and they pull us in. Jesus is, is pulling to us. And this was so uh, not the way that it was done. I know um, some of you, maybe, you're struggling right now. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe in a dating relationship. You're struggling in your grades. Maybe in a couple of classes, not looking so good, and you've, you've really got some work to do there. Or maybe it's in your career. Just, you're not hitting your numbers. You're not uh, you know, where you would want to be or, or like to be. Uh, and, and we, we kind of use those things. Maybe you're a parent. And you're thinking, oh, am I parenting? I'm not so sure how this is going. B- I want you to believe this. I want you to push through all of that and believe this. If you are a disciple of Jesus, he chose you. There's times I've thought, God, I'm such a mess up. I don't know. Are you sure? Because uh, there's a lot of other people that would do this a whole lot better. Are you sure about that? You know. Uh, uh, so uh, just make yourself available. Have you made yourself available? In John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says, "You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit." and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give to you. Most of us only notice the last part of that verse. (laughs) We just want to get stuff, and we think, oh, he said he would give me stuff if I just asked for it. The big point of that is he called you, he picked you, he appointed you to follow him and to produce fruit. And here's something that uh, I've thought a lot about, and I, I wanted you to think about this as well. Our primary calling... Is to be with Him. You know, several times Jesus says, "Follow Me." He doesn't tell them where they're going, what the assignment's going to be, how this is going to work or play. You know, He he didn't. He just said, "Follow Me." His primary call is not to do something. See, most of us we're so caught up with and obsessed with. I, and I say this carefully, but you think it through. We are so um, all about our own sanctification that most of the sermons and Bible studies and books we read and everything is, how can I be a better Christian? How can I be? We're so focused on sanctification, and I get that. But we miss redemption. God is always focused on your redemption. On your redemption. Redemption. You know, that, was, that showed up in a song we sang, an old song we sang today. And, and, and it showed up there because His primary call in your life is not to do something. It's to become like Him. He's the rabbi. And to become like Him, you have to know Him. So we get His Word inside of us, and it just begins to renovate our thinking in, in entirely brand new ways. Maybe you've called this the exchanged life or the crucified life or the Christ life. But to follow him, we leave everything else. It's not a blend of all your old ways, and your old thinking or your old religions, your old lifestyle, and then add Jesus into that. That's not what this is. It's something brand new. This says, you know, in in this one sentence here, it really got my attention. It says, immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Why identify those two specific things? I think because those are the two things that are the most significant in our life and sometimes hold us back or set us free. And that's the boat and the father. The boat is your career. Your school, where you're going, what? That's you know, you when you meet somebody, what do you say? First question, what do you, I'm a student. I'm a dentist. You know, I'm a repair person. I'm I'm electrician. I'm. A, we identify ourselves by what we do, and God says, "Would you allow me to have that? Would you just see yourself as mine, and your identity be in Christ, and not so much, you know, what, what you're doing to try to make a living? Well, how we take care of ourselves." And the other thing, he said, they left their father. I think our most significant relationships either point us to Jesus or they point us away from Jesus. And in this moment, he's telling these guys, I I need you to be freed up just to be mine. When you follow Jesus, then he takes precedent over both of those things, the boat and the father. Your career, your life, how you take care of yourself, and all your relationships. Now, I, I think, before you freak out, I don't think most of us are going to literally lose your father and mother. I've seen that just a very few handful of times because of Jesus. You know, uh, Some might. Okay. Uh, but for some, God may be telling you to change careers or you know, pursue this kind of education. I but for most of us, it's not going to be that dramatic. You know, but there's this freedom uh, that we give him in our lives, because you will have moments when you decide what's going to hold sway over your life. Who has the authority? How is it you're going to make decisions? How you're going to do what you do next? Where you're going to go next? How is that going to be determined by your boat and your father and all these things, or does Jesus have? Uh, this room in your life, in this authority, in this place. We're going to do that. That's availability. God, first of all, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Now he's got this incredible room and this space uh, to work in us. And the first thing he's going to tell us uh, is to spiritually reproduce. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Jesus says, you abandon your old self and you allow Christ to live in you, uh, and he's going to be... And Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why am I here? Why was there Christmas and Easter and everything in between and all that? Jesus says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now you're my disciple. What is your purpose? He says, to bear much fruit, for you to follow me. You see, we think our purpose is to be a better person. I got saved so now I can follow Jesus and I'm nicer and, and, I have, and he says, no, no, no that's on, that's on the path on the way to who I really wanted you to be and the reason I called you in, verse, uh, in John 15, 8 he says, my father is glorified in this that you produce much fruit and that's what proves you're a disciple it doesn't prove that you're a disciple just that you got over your addiction or you changed your habits or you're a nicer person that's part of it. the real deal, the, the, the proof, you know, the, the, the criteria is that you produce fruit. Jesus told his disciples in, in Matthew 20, and he says, go, and this is the famous, you know, this big first assignment that is still active for all of us. He said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. And remember... I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not going out by yourself. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stay with you. Now, I'm not going to get all greeky on you, but real quickly, because I think it's significant. In in Greek, the, this word, um, the, the words "go," "baptize," and "teach," those are actually participles that derive force from this one controlling verb: "make disciples." That's your job. You've got one job make disciples that means that everything we do folks i don't i don't i want, I want this to really sink in everything we do go, grows and you know develops and blossoms out of this call to make disciples you see we thought our purpose was now i'm going to be good now i'm going to change my life oh he's such a good christian why do we say that about people because of the way they act and the way they talk or that they go to church they change their behaviors and jesus is like no, that's not, that's not the proof. Making disciples is the thing. In Luke 19, he said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now I'm passing that job on to you. That's why we're here. So that should summarize our life. There's a guy named Robert Coleman, and he said this When will the church learn this lesson? Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, It's someone. It's you. It's you. You are God's method. That's how he's going to do this. Don't let that intimidate you. Don't let that scare you or make you pull back or... Uh, Disciple making is just simply teaching someone to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promise: I'm going to help you. I'm not going to throw you out there and just let you. So identify who's your one. Who's your one? Ask God. We're going we're to take a moment. We're just going to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help us? Would you show me who my one is? And with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring that person, that friend, that cousin, that coworker to Christ. Here's the question. Will, will you pray this in the next couple of minutes? God, give me one person that I can bring to Jesus know I imagine this every week what if we all did that what if every community group made it their goal to reach one person for Jesus if each one of us committed I'm going to reach that person let me wrap it up let me summarize it are you a disciple are you Christian or are you a disciple if not maybe that's the beginning place Maybe that's the next step is to say, God, I don't want to just be a cultural Christian or just kind of in. I want to, I really want to be a disciple of yours. He's going to say, okay, start bearing fruit, start disciple making. So let's do this. We're going to sing this together. And we've left these names. We've come in during the week. I was in here a couple of days ago and just prayed. And, and, and we call out these names one at a time out loud. And uh, we just call out every one of these names. We're going to keep doing that. Now, if the Lord's given you another name, uh, I brought some more. There's extra bookmarks here. So you can add another name. Or if there's someone's name that you've already put and you think, yeah, you know what? I want to pray over them again. And then that's okay. This, this is a free place. It's like our prayer room here. So you can come down and just touch your card again and pray for that person one more time and just keep praying for them. Uh, God, I'm going to make a disciple out of that person. Isn't that cool? All these names. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Be his disciples. In Jesus' name.